Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. I'm Andy, and joined with me always is Christo. How are you doing today, Christo? Great. How are you doing, Andy? Oh, it's it's been a long one. It's been a long, <laughs> confusing day uh, for you. Those of you that aren't familiar, uh, I have a background in radio, and I have a video game show. And I was going to talk to the creators of the best game ever made, Disco Elysium, this morning, but I got all set up. It was really, really exciting. Talked to some of my heroes only to realize I had the wrong day. So I'm just in a horrible mood. Uh, what about you? I know you've been on Joe Biden watch for most of the day. Yeah, just following the news, you know, nothing, nothing major. He didn't, um, he didn't fall down? He didn't fall down or or up anything. He did <laughs> joke about being 120 years old and then conservatives did not get the joke. Um, so that's that was that was the big news. All right, but today yeah. we aren't talking about, you know, 70-year-old people that run America. We're talking about the slightly younger people that run this country. If you're not familiar, uh, Left Turn Canada's me and Christo's attempt to just try and bring another leftist voice to politics and culture of Canada, though. Very, very Canada-specific. And this week, we got to see what is the, I think, the perfect distillation of the three major political parties in the Canadian landscape, all starting with the Conservative Policy Convention. It happened in the last week. Uh, basically, they had a layup shot where they wanted to add into their already lengthy policy discussion on climate change one simple sentence. We recognize that climate change is real the conservative party is willing to act something that is self-evident something that every other political party would you know jump at the opportunity to to add because it doesn't really mean you have to do anything it's just entirely indicating to others that it's real 54% of the delegates voted against that a simple act of adding this one measly sentence to, you know, maybe say that it's real and the conservative party will do something, even if it's just, you know, thoughts and prayers for uh, climate change. But unfortunately, oh, yeah, that's essentially it. It's basically a that's a great way of putting yeah. it, Andy, that it is the thoughts and prayers <laughs> version of a resolution. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we acknowledge that something is real. We're promising to act in some very vague and nebulous way, but be assured we uh, we we think this is real. And beyond that, though, like that's all they're really committing to is uh, that the science that is accepted by the vast majority of climate scientists is, in fact, accurate. And they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even do that. Like, I just again, it, it seems like there is a portion of the ruling class in our country that does accept or maybe doesn't accept, but does understand at least not um, overtly telling the world that people who aren't like them are going to die. And it's kind of their fault, you know, like I, I think that do you think this was more about not recognizing that climate change is real or the second part of the sentence that the conservative party will actually do anything about it. That really pissed well, off, uh, you know, Tories. I think there's a mixture. There are some conservatives now that when pressed on the question of climate change, 
will not necessarily deny that the earth is warming, but usually suggest something along the lines of, we don't think it's primarily caused by humans. Mm. They'll suggest it's part of the, 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 the shifting, you know, global warming and cooling patterns that have existed independent of humans throughout climate history, which of course is false in our current time. Those things have existed, of course, but uh, they'll make that argument or they'll suggest there's no point in acting because so long as China and the United States and other big countries refuse to act, Canada is a small fish in a big pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that might be some of it, but there may also be uh, a, a portion of the conservative base that really is convinced that climate change isn't real, uh, that climate change is in part a conspiracy some right-wing groups have suggested that climate change is connected to things around like uh, the, the building a new world order, building, mm. you know, this global globalist movement that it will be used potentially to be connected to things like anti-fertility policies, which will encourage things like abortion and, and, and contraception, which some, not all conservatives, but some conservatives uh, see as as fundamental to their cause that they protect the right to life and these sorts of things. So it, I think uh, uh, again about half of the conservative base uh, uh, of the membership of the party, slightly more, for a variety of reasons, voted against this. And I'm guessing that there's a good mixture of people that believe in climate change but are unwilling to act, or don't believe in it at all, um, or maybe are just voting against this in a in a sort of vague desire to own the libs by f- drowning their children. The crazy thing is that this isn't just a random poll of, you know, different conservatives. Maybe the 25% of people in any country that are absolutely crazy. These are members of the ruling class. These are members of the conservative party. And I do know this is, you know, kind of funny just just to laugh at and and point to how backwards uh, the party leadership is. But when it comes to enacting policy, the idea that you have this many people that won't even agree to the thoughts and prayers of climate change really does seem bleak. And, And I think we're not perhaps taking this as seriously. Maybe we're just too beaten down by the entire conversation, but I don't think we're taking this as seriously as perhaps we ought to. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my my, my view, at least in general, is that like these people represent the conservative party. Um, and as with any party, it's often the case that just because something is in a resolution or isn't in a resolution, it doesn't necessarily make it to the party platform. The liberals in the NDP base often propose policies to the left of each of their respective parties, and they don't always make it in. And so the same thing does happen with the conservatives as well. So we should be fair to them and say, you know, the bases of the parties are usually more strident than the actual um, brass of the party. And so Mm. it could be perfectly conceivable that the conservatives will operate as if this never happened. But it does say that a majority of conservative activists are willing to say that either climate change isn't real or we are unwilling to act about the thing that we do think is real. And that is concerning. And one thing that I think a lot of people have pointed out, and this is going to be very rare for our show, is that it really does speak to Stephen Harper's capabilities as (laughs) a party leader. Because 
Stephen Harper for more than 10 years led this conservative party. He was all, he was prime minister for almost 10 and led it before that. Um, and was largely able to sort of keep the various wings of the conservative party together and not have as much infighting. And in the last few years, you've seen bolder uh, pro-life movements. You saw the split between Maxime Bernier and and uh, Andrew Scheer that led to the People's Party. And all of this happened in the post-Harper period, in the post-2015 period, that, that sort of typified how, in many ways, the Conservative Party might still have a broad unity in that they hate Justin Trudeau, or that they hate socialism, quote unquote, whatever that means, you know, in their minds. But Mm -hmm. the cleavages are there and O'Toole, at least thus far, hasn't really been able to fully manage them because he's trying to say the party believes in climate change, but clearly the activists do not. Now, maybe these people don't fully represent the 33 or so, 35 or so percent of Canadians that voted conservative last election, but they are the people that donate, that volunteer, and that yeah. are the engines of any campaign. They have a voice. They have they a, they have a major have a voice, voice yeah. 100%. Yeah. And remember, O'Toole probably depended on at least some of those 54% of people to make him leader in the in Yeah, because he's election. very much an outsider in, at least in, like, I, I when this was, uh, when he was running, I don't remember him as a, a really strong contender until I think later on the ballot. And I think a lot of that, if I recall, you can correct me on this. Uh, had a lot to do with some of those outsiders, some of those uh, wings of the conservative party that were a little more populous and maybe rising with, you know, yeah. a reaction to late capitalism and, and what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, the that's how I recall. Won, yeah. Well, yeah, the reason he won and now it, it, it didn't end up being as close as a lot of people thought. A lot of people initially thought that, you know, in actuality, uh, O'Toole might, um, uh, might by n- narrowly beat McKay or McKay might have a big win. Mm-hmm. But what ended up happening is that the other candidates, as they dropped out, largely filtered to O'Toole because he represented himself as, you know, a, a fairly mainstream conservative, but a true conservative as opposed to McKay, who was seen as like a fake liberal or like, yeah. you know, a, 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 you know, a conservative in, 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 you know, name only. Right. Um, Man, he's just gone now, eh? Like, yeah, well, yeah, he yeah. He just, he just pieced a, out back to Bay Street, probably, right? You know, like <laughs> he was such a big voice, and he he was brought up as you know this will be yeah. in many ways, you know, the the uh, central way, the third way, if you will. Yeah. Not considering the NDP, but now it's it's amazing how they just spit you out when you don't have value. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Look, I mean, and so O'Toole, in a lot of ways, owes likely some of these people his leadership. And so he has to balance appealing to the actual voters without splitting his party in twain, right? And mm-hmm. that's something Harper was able to do. And in some ways, Sheer wasn't. Um, and O'Toole seems to be struggling as well. Uh, and so this is definitely something to keep an eye on. And I mean, like the issue is not going away politically. I mean, we saw earlier today the Supreme Court six to three voted basically saying that the carbon tax is not only constitutional, but the federal government can impose it on provinces, even if they're resistant because it's a federal jurisdiction um, policy. And that will anger a lot of conservatives. But you know, the question remains, how do they maintain their base who are at the very least climate change skeptic Mm 
while trying to appeal to, say, relatively educated people in central Canadian suburbia who at the very least need a party to say climate change is real and we're going to do something. Yeah, maybe, you know, they looked at the arithmetic and eventually they'll realize they don't need those people. Like, maybe it is just that simple. It's funny you're talking about the the, uh, Supreme Court verdict that came through. And I'm just remembering, I think someone was posting on Twitter, you know, how much the Canadian media framed this like blue wave of conservative premiers as like our own resistance that are going to fight against this. They'll do anything. Yeah. Yeah. They'll do anything they can to fight against it. And, you know, is Canada ready for this only to find out that, you know, they're in this way, at least pretty impotent on a pretty fundamental thing. Like this was a huge cudgel for uh, at least uh, Doug Ford, I recall, this was a massive thing. He made all of our uh, gas station uh, posts have little stickers reminding us about how evil this was, yeah. which was found out, you know, something that wasn't allowed either. Yeah. But it's just it's interesting to look back and see how, you know, our media landscape really does need these narratives to to function when in practicality maybe it's not implemented that way you know yeah well i mean the conservatives see i i I think o2 realizes why this is such a thorn because again they really do need these people if you go back to the last federal election what you saw was that the conservatives won the most votes um and and, ironic as it was sheer got clintoned uh, and won the popular mm-hmm. vote and lost the, the 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 actual way you count votes, which is how many seats you win, right? Uh, yeah. And so what happened was is he ran up huge victories, massive victories uh, in the West, in particular in Saskatchewan and Alberta, where they won mm-hmm. in those two provinces all but one of the seats with you know one one urban Edmonton riding going to the NDP, and they won literally every other seat in both provinces. But when it came to Quebec and when it came especially to suburban Ontario, they got shellacked, right? Some of the races were, yeah, yeah. the 905, right? Like Mm -hmm. where, where, where Doug Ford won his majority and where Stephen Harper won his majority as well, which was in the 905 combined with, you don't have to win a lot in Quebec as a conservative, but you have to do better than Sheer did. And so, um, you know, if, if. Sheer can say it all he wants, but if the perception is that his party is basically a climate change denial party, and you could make the argument that given the state of the membership that they are in some ways, then that's going to hurt them in Mm -hmm. some of these communities that even if they're receptive to some conservative ideologies around lower taxes or maybe being a little bit tougher on crime, whatever that means... Um, you know, they, they're, they, they don't, they don't want an anti-science party, quote unquote. Especially when the sentiment was so bland yeah. too. Yeah. Like this is, I think something that if ironically, if we were polled as a country, I think it would be an overwhelming majority. At least I would hope would agree with that sort of statement. So you believe that not only is this a big deal, but this, this could hurt. Yeah. The, uh, the conservatives and their planned kind of reconstruction as, you know, the all the alternative for the people party. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think that yeah. it is a, a, a very big issue. I mean, if you look in Canada, this was a poll from apparently 2020, 2020. Um, mm-hmm. And it uh, suggests that I, like basically a super majority of Canadians believe that climate change is real and it's mostly caused by humans. 
um, you know, that was about 64, 65% of Canadians and about one quarter of additional people said it's a fact, but they don't necessarily think humans caused it. So the vast majority of Canadians believe climate change is real and human caused. And Mm -hmm. basically almost everyone believes that it is real. And so if you think about it, if 64% of Canadians believe it's real, um, and man-made, you have to start thinking, if you're the conservatives, can you reliably win the entirety <laughs> of that 36%? And because yeah. some of those people might actually not be climate change believers, but still won't vote conservative for whatever reason. They're a climate change yeah, denier that loves healthcare, yeah. right? There yeah, are very, people like just, that. As, yeah. And so you have to start thinking, if you're, if you're openly climate change denial that right off the bat, you know, maybe maybe two thirds, 60 percent of the electorate's like, no, I'm not going to vote for you. So o- O'Toole knows it's a big problem. They brought it up for a reason. Right. They knew it was going to yeah. be painful, but it's one of the things that parties have to deal with. And I mean, look, uh, even like other parties have to deal with it as well. How do you balance representing the members of your party with building a platform that appeals to the, the people of the country or the province mm-hmm. or whatever jurisdiction? Yeah, this does really show the cracks of our system in a big, big way when we have these, at least I think so, in these uh, these policy discussions. The interesting thing, though, about this real big misstep is this would have been a great opportunity for the ruling party, for the libs to come out strong and say, you know, the alternative had, doesn't even believe the basics. Here is our comprehensive program to help fight against climate change. It's not just about making sure you have tax credits, but we are going to make a real big change for the future of our country. And instead, they tweeted out a picture of a shirt, a T-shirt that is now since not available. But if you're not familiar with this, basically right after this, the Liberal Party was pushing through their marketing arm through uh, on Twitter that climate change is real. And please buy this T-shirt that uh, supports this idea. As of right now uh, of recording, you actually can't buy that T-shirt. They Uh, stopped that from happening. And I think that was because of the unbelievably negative response that came from this. No one thought that at least publicly that this was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that it was a, a, a major issue um, that, 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 that you could seize on, right? Like you could actually um, take an opportunity here. But see, the liberals, again, and this isn't to say that they're in the same camp as the conservatives on this issue necessarily, but it's much like the the traditional two-step is you have a conservative party that essentially, at least in some manner, doesn't believe in climate change, and then a liberal party that will say, we believe in science, we believe in climate change, but then will not necessarily say, we believe in climate change and therefore are listening to the scientists that are basically predicting a like like an apocalypse yeah and we're not going to do anything about far. it so yeah. it's like the difference too between far gone. head in the sand and our head is out of the sand and we see the tidal wave coming for us 
but we're not going to move or we're not going to move the poor people out of it anyway. Right. Like, yeah, no, it makes it does make me feel at least the conservatives are genuine in their antipathy for life on this planet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like at at least at least we understand like it's very clear you can. And we did hear we can say the conservative party for those that, you know, understand that climate change is real, but don't want to act on it are demonstrably evil and want misery for the most vulnerable people in our country. The liberal party though, showing their support in this way. And of course there are policies that they have in place, but all of that is really put on the back burner when you consider their pipeline policy and how central that is to, you know, the talking points of Justin Trudeau. It's really hard. I think as a young person to look at this, or as someone who, you know, just doesn't want to die and not feel entirely disillusioned by the leaders that we have in this country. Like, I, I, I think it was just this whole back and forth was a real blow, in my opinion. Yep. Yep. It's just cynicism all around. You have conservatives yeah. that that are trying to put forward a resolution that uh, at the end of the day is just about trying to garner a positive headline. So that they could get, you know, coverage from media saying, you know, Aaron O'Toole under his bold leadership is 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 bringing conservatives uh, into the future on climate just because of that one line. And then liberals trying to do some, you know, pretty skeezy fundraising off of that as well. Yeah, no. And I, I the one hope that we had in this conversation was the uh, often found position of the NDP that now they can actually try to do something. So as this conversation was happening, you know, there was some push by a very uh, popular and I think pretty impressive uh, NDP MP to react to the climate change catastrophe. And that didn't exactly work out that well, did it? No, Leah Gazan put forward a policy uh, and she's an NDP MP from Winnipeg, Manitoba, that would basically, you know, uh, acknowledge a climate change emergency and then actually do something about it. Uh, and pr- predictably, as it often is in this country, it was voted down by a, an alliance of liberal and conservative MPs, basically the entirety of the liberal and conservative parties voting against it. Uh, sometimes the bloc vote, I believe the bloc supported this particular uh, resolution, mm-hmm. but whether like on the wealth tax and on many of these things, when the NDP puts forward a policy that would uh, improve the lives of Canadians, and again, is almost always in broad step with what the people want, uh, it is usually heavily voted down by the liberals and conservatives uh, who have, you know, well over, you know, two thirds of the combined seats in the House. What, you know, maybe not the specifics here, but what is generally the sentiment from these, you know, neoliberal cretins that are trying to indicate that, you know, they are they're there for climate change and they want Canada to survive, you know, 200 years from now. Yet they vote down even these modest proposals for change. You know, what is possibly the liberal justification publicly to any of this type of like brinksmanship? What do they say? Well, I think the argument is basically to have faith in like a green capitalism. Yeah, right. Okay. That that like we're gradually moving towards transition. Justin Trudeau will say, for instance, that using uh, using non green energy 
provides us with the bridge towards the uh, 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 a post-carbon future, both in terms of the fact that like we need to we need to get to that future, but also arguing that the the the, the revenue raised from this from this energy is significant. And you can use it to fund your green projects. Uh, you know, uh, companies individually can do that, but also, you know, governments can use the tax revenue to fund green projects. And that in general, through things like a carbon tax, which has good elements, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but through like providing market incentives and disincentives, you can, in effect, bring about a green future. Right. Yeah. I mean, a the green con- revolution, yeah. which is what we need. Yeah, That's the, the big misstep like, here. Right? I mean, the, the 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 wealth tax was or the, the carbon tax was really initially a conservative policy. Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it was meant to uh, appeal to conservatives to say, look, we get that. One of the reasons you don't want to do anything about climate change is you see it as a tool for for socialism and i mean i think you and i would agree that that would be a good thing like the green new deal (laughs) is like an eco-socialist project but Mm -hmm. if you're a capitalist and you want to at least hypothetically do something about the climate then what you say is that if we if we put a cost on carbon if we put a cost on polluting in a way that we didn't used to hypothetically companies and industries and individuals will shift their behaviors to maximize their individual profit or minimize their individual losses. And that will lead to greener outcomes. And I'm sure that there's some reality there, but the question is given the short time frame we have and the magnitude of the problem, I don't think that's sufficient to get us to where we need to go. And that's where I think, you know, you and I would say you need a, a, a an eco-social, an eco-socialist alternative to the, the liberal model, which is basically uh, through a limited government intervention and, and green capitalism, we're going to get out of this climate crisis. And I don't, I, I think that's a fantasy. Maybe if we started in the 1970s in earnest, maybe, maybe, maybe that could have worked, but we didn't. We're starting basically now, right? Yeah, and the the big issue here is if this policy of uh, tax incentivization actually was implemented in the bare bones that was suggested, maybe it could do something. Obviously not enough for what our country needs to survive, but the fact that it's been contorted and shifted from an already conservative policy by strong conservative voices, you know, the major polluters just use it as basically a tax credit system. They just exchange different credits and are still allowed to pollute in this level I I think it's really funny how it exemplifies, once again, the biggest issues with capitalism, something that perhaps was presented as a, I would say, genuine good faith gesture to implement changes in the economy that are needed. You know, we need a green economy. But as soon as it was actually placed before these mega corporations, all of the effort was not to make this transition but try to make as little changes as possible while still adhering to these new rules. And when that didn't work, let's change the rules so we can just, you know, shift our credits around and we can still essentially do the same thing. And I maybe it's a little trite because talking about climate change, eventually there's that fatigue with it. Like we're already beaten down by everything. Like, you know, maybe dying in a pool of uh, boiling ocean wouldn't be so bad. But it does feel like maybe now is the time to 
be um, motivated to actually support any party that will have meaningful change. Like this, this I think could be, if it was positioned correctly, uh, a fundamental voting issue for most Canadians. I've just, I feel like it's not being touted loud enough how horribly the Liberal Party is doing at trying to save our country. Yep. I mean, look, this is where, and, and I mean, look, it, we can be honest and say even even the NDP uh, and certainly even the Greens, they do not offer the, the entire necessary steps at a level of boldness required to necessarily solve the issues, even if you can look at the NDP plan and say there are certain things that are great here. But I mean, the argument is clear that um, <clears throat> climate change is not simply an environmental policy, it's economic policy. Uh, it's uh, racial policy. It's, uh, you know, generational policy. It affects all of these factors. And so when you talk about a Green New Deal, it really should be a sort of centerpiece policy that is inseparable from everything from justice for indigenous people to justice between Europeans and, and, and other racialized people to to all of these sorts of things that can build a coherent policy. And that is an opportunity that that no one has seized, but especially not the two largest parties. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. It's hard not to, again, and I, I do feel bad for our, our listeners because I think last week we had a lot of uh, doom and gloom there as well. Oh, this, this is going to be mostly doom and gloom. Though. Like, <laughs> it's hard not to be hopeful, but I, I do, I don't know. I, I do feel like there is a place for that. Like that's a fundamental reason why the views of socialism and, and communism, in my case, are so appealing because I think through all of the muck and hatred and, you know, the, the pitfalls of humanity, we are able to be uplifted by our shared humanity. And I just, I feel like this is the one issue that is such an easy one-to-one explanation of that ideal of the, like the principles of egalitarianism and socialism are no better exemplified than the fight for climate change and climate freedom and saving our country. But, you know, we, we get, I guess, kind of stuck in the doom and gloom, even you and I, when talking about this, like I, I do feel like we could, I don't know, make some kind of difference in this way. I'm trying to be a little hopeful here, Crystal. I'm just trying to implement some type of happiness just for a moment. I mean, I, I, I mean, my hope is young people, man. Yeah. Like younger than us. I mean, we're still we're yes. we're still young guys, right? You know, maybe eh, maybe I don't know about that. But like, you know, like young <laughs> people. Like, look, I'm I'm a pretty politically active guy. I've been involved in politics now for for much of my life in some way, whether uh, involved in the labor movement or the NDP or just uh, uh, through uh, through analysis and my research. But when I was in high school, like I would I liked watch the news and, and and all of that. But like, I didn't go to protests. Yeah, I didn't do marches. I didn't like, you know, go on strike for the climate like Greta Thunberg or, or, or even just, you know, like some of the kids that just did it every now and then. I did none of that until I was already like an adult and like and, and, and I'm suspecting that I'm not alone on that. But mm-hmm. now young people, it's much more common to see children 14, 15, 16, 17 you know, protesting, not just on climate, but on like, like there was, there was growing, I grew up in New Brunswick and there was just a, you know, there was a, 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 a students protested over dress codes that were misogynistic. And I remember those wow, dress really? codes existing when we were kids and 
people sort of just put up with it and there was no collective pushback against what was clearly the policing of girls' bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And now kids are like, no, we're not putting up with that shit anymore, right? Yeah, no, in in Guelph, where I live, there's unfortunately a very loud uh, anti-abortion religious movement here. And I remember, you know, living in Toronto and that just being kind of a, a part of life, these horrible people that would want other people that were going through this uh, to suffer. But here in Guelph, anytime I see those protesters, they're followed almost every day by counter protesters, young women who are out there saying, you know, this is my body, leave it alone. And it is inspiring. But I, I do worry about a lot of this youth uh, exuberance and and pain and trying to make a change being tamped down by fatigue or worse being siphoned off by more uh, authoritarian ideals that are still populous uh, being siphoned off by the uh, you know more populous conservative party so I we say this almost every episode the NDP is in a position right now to really speak to that growing base this this feeling of disillusionment and I, I just I don't know about you I'm I'm really concerned that it will either be tamped down by the realities of how difficult it is to provide excuse me any sort of accomplishment in this field or be siphoned off so you know what what can we possibly do about that we're trying to save the world in this episode today Krista well yeah I mean we can even talk a little bit about that I mean like look I mean I, I've talked a bit about the the NDP's approach to student loans, right? Like that's another yes. thing that that's affecting. And it's just like, they have to be simple and yet bold. That's what, that's mm-hmm. what the left needs to be. They need to be very simple. And by that, I mean, not like you're, you're dumbing it down and not like you're not going to have any nuance, but you need to just be exactly clear with what the hell you're doing. And so just as a student loan thing, uh, press release comes out, news reports come out, NDP canceling $20,000 of student loans. Now, a lot of Ooh, people nice. can... Yeah, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> a lot of people can reasonably say, why not the full amount? And that's a fair debate. But, you know, you can make a defensible policy around 20 k because it's a lot of money, but it doesn't necessarily bail out the doctors and lawyers and whatever. We can have a debate about that. We could have a good faith mm. debate about should it be full or should it be just partial? But then you read the fine print and it's, you got to have a household income of under 60K, which is not a lot. Household. So you assume yeah. a two-person household. Uh, if, one, if, if each person makes 35, you're not going to get the full cancellation. It's not for five years until after you graduate. And it's all these like little ifs and buts and maybes and kindas that take an exciting, clear, sellable policy and make it like something that even like politicos are going to have to sit down with a calculator and like a mm-hmm. spreadsheet to understand, right? It's stupid, right? And so it's, it's like, it, it, yeah, go ahead. It's, so it's like, it can't just be like the Green New Deal has to be sold as like a, a, a fundamental transformation of our society to bring social, political, and economic justice. And yeah, it's more complicated than a student loan cancellation because that's very simple, or at least it should be. But like, you have to be clear with what you want and bold about it. And that will excite people, right? It, it, it'll, it'll piss some people off. Of course it will, but mm-hmm. it will excite many more. And that's my belief. As we said on the show before, it will be seen as a socialist outcry by members of the mainstream media. But 
those members are already against you. (laughs) They're already calling you a socialist. So why not try to do something that will get people excited? Like that is ultimately, I think, what all these political parties want to do more than anything is to get a base really, really excited. And it's funny that um, debt forgiveness, the uh, school debt forgiveness policy, this idea by the NDP, my uh, partner is in exactly that situation. She went for a theater degree and she is in that situation. And we are just now over the cusp of that because if this did get implemented because of the Serb repayments that we had during this 2020. So just think about that for a second, how ineffectual this actually would be for people that need it because of a different you know, government yeah. subsidy to help during a crisis. Like you said, if it's not simple, if it's not cl- has that clarity, everything will get lost in the details and you'll just end up fighting more about these details. Like I, for me, I think the expression of socialism is having that moral clarity of not needing to quibble about the minutiae because fundamentally this is a morally upheld belief that people shouldn't have to suffer to get education and shouldn't be in debt their entire lives and that just simply needs to change you know we we talk about this almost every single episode but why do you think honestly that this decision was made with these caveats i mean I, I don't and know. We're just guessing. We're speculating. Yeah. We don't have insider information. It's just, but it just I, I think it's every like, time we talk about them, it's know. always again. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I, I don't know. Like yeah. sometimes I think it's like, you know, the, the, the party just isn't as left wing as maybe you or I in some issues. That's part of it. Yeah. I think sometimes it's they're afraid of going too big, too bold because they're worried about the backlash from the media and things like that. But I think that <clears throat> here it's like, the, the headline is like 20,000 canceled. So people who are opposed to student debt cancellation are going to get pissed at you. And then mm-hmm. people who read it and ex- are excited are going to become disappointed at you. And so I don't get it. Like, I get why you wouldn't do it. Like, I wouldn't support it. But it's like, oh, the party thinks that um, it'll piss off older voters um, and young people don't vote. So we're not going to prioritize them. Um, that's, yeah. that's wrong and stupid and bad, but like that, you, you can trace the rational thread even if incorrectly, right? Here it's mm-hmm. like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like yeah. 20,000. Is it just like, yeah. is it Mulcair holdovers or something like that? Does he still have like his uh, veins in this party in some way? Or, or is it just fundamentally that maybe the NDP, like we said before, isn't as left-wing as you or I or, or the people listening. See, I don't even know if I would classify this as like a left-right split. I just think it's like, yeah. it's like people are just trying to get too cute. They're just trying to get too cute. <laughs> and like, it's like, no, just like, it's 20K. Like, look, we can have a fight about whether it should be more or uh, or, or all, but like 20K uh, for everyone like done it's it's easy it's simple you don't have to spend more money on administering the system to you know it's just get it done right like you know what i mean yeah 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 i I don't get it no i and it's funny you're saying you know don't be cute about it as this is happening and we talked about this before we recorded uh leader of the ndp jagmeet singh it's actually giving out his phone number so if you have anything that you want to say if you have any questions he is advocating you know, for this transparency and this uh, level of communication. You guys can call Jagmeet at 
Um, where is that number? Uh, six one three. I got it here. You got it. Okay. Eight oh one. No, sorry. Start again. Start again. Yeah. Six one three. Eight oh one. Eight two one zero. You can text Jugmeat. You can talk to him. Uh, do that one hundred percent. Be nice, but maybe yes, but please. maybe let him know that you think that the student loan policy was a nice start, but you're not going to be able to tell your friends about it if the if it takes like six minutes to explain it. Just say twenty k. <laughs> universal if you have twenty thousand dollars of student loan debt or less it's wiped and if you have more than that well you're getting a twenty thousand dollar rebate you know if the ndp wins uh maybe let jugmeat know yeah no it's clear i can see you know the billboards now i can see the the facebook ads the twitter ads you know the government owes you 20 grand vote for the ndp like it's so simple and and necessary like just economically speaking, if we do not uplift uh, Gen Zs and millennials, they will never reach a point where home ownership is a possibility. It's yep. already an impossibility. And that, based on the way we've structured our Western economy, will guarantee continued failures. And we'll, we'll have to rely more heavily on big finance. And we've seen what that does. It's destroying modern media. And we, we talked about that last week of how, you know, there was an overvaluation. And then after that, it was uh, seen not to be profitable and just gutted. And it's obviously destroyed the housing market. We're still suffering from the 2008 crisis. And there's all indicators that that is going to happen again. So I just I I think if we either need to have a huge absolute and this is what I would advocate for fundamental change in how we structure our economy or we need to have huge absolute changes in how uh, people in our economy are able to be supported by the government right away. One of those changes has to happen immediately or, you know, uh, climate change won't even get a chance to do us in. We will do that (laughs) ourselves. Like we don't need to wait for the seas to boil. We will be out of power in 15 years. Like I, I just... I don't know. Maybe it's when we're talking about these things back to back to back to back. It's hard not to see the interminable mistakes that are being made by all these major parties. Like I I imagine I don't have a lot of uh, familiarity with, you know, what it's like to be in the rooms when these decisions are being made. I imagine there's a lot of different voices telling you, you know, all of the caveats and, and a lot of different analytics to support it. But fundamentally, we've said here, it needs to be simple, it needs to be absolute, and it needs to happen now because the alternative is either going to be, you know, as they say, it's either going to be barbarism or socialism. Yeah. So I personally would vote for socialism. I think most people, except for, you know, that 54% of delegates that are conservative, <laughs> you know, yeah. would agree yeah. with that change. Yeah. Yeah, no. All I mean, right. Yeah. So go ahead. No, no, no you're, you're 100% Ugh. right. 100% right. I don't think I have anything to add there. I mean, okay. look, yeah, I mean, like, so, look, well, one th- is that you're right, like that this is also an economic issue, right? Like uh, people mm-hmm. have pointed it out. I mean, uh, they're having a similar fight in the U.S. trying to pull teeth to get Biden to cancel some student loan debt, uh, which he has mm-hmm. the power to do uh, through executive order. And, you know, Liz Warren and others have said, like, look, if you want to if you want to stimulate uh, the economy uh, and you want to do so in a way that helps young people and in particular women and in particular, particular women of color. Um, who have higher proportions of student debt, canceling student debt will allow those people to get homes, get cars, get furniture. Um, it, it's it's a no-brainer. 
It's a no-brainer yeah. from a justice perspective and from an economic perspective. Yeah, and it just, again, for some reason, it's not as much of a no-brainer for the people that we have decided to lead us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, there seems to be this epidemic of people who are leading us believing that they know better than the rest. You know, I, I think that is one of the most insidious things in politics is when you as a ruling party believe that you are no better than even the constituents you're supposed to represent what will be good for them. And that has led, I believe, to this neoliberal push and this, you know, hell world that we're, we're in right now. And uh, yeah, I just... You know, the young people will either save us or, you know, condemn us, put that final nail in the coffin. So yeah. I'm hoping that uh, you all can be very nice to Jagmeet when you're talking to him and uh, express, you know, what would work. Like we said, the 20 grand w that is more universal, getting more than that. Even now, we're so beaten down. We I can't even see a reality where it would be more than that. But that would fundamentally change the lives of of millions of Canadians the second it was implemented. And it would be something kind of like our socialized healthcare that <laughs> once we have it, it will be something that will guarantee, in my opinion anyway, lifelong NDP voters. You know, my, uh, my partner's grandmother was from out West and uh, is her 80s now. And she grew up with a strong labor movement in uh, represented by the NDP. And she will always, for eternity, yeah. vote for the NDP because of that strong moral precept that was introduced at a very young age for her. And I think that is how you win voters. Because I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I mostly, unfortunately, voted when I did based on you know what seemed kind of middle of the road. I wasn't as informed. I never felt yeah. like a party really worked hard to get me on their side. It was only making me afraid of what the alternative could be. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, why don't we have an NDP that does that, that tries to, you know, reinvigorate? We're not even talking about the labor movement, but imagine if they pushed that type of messaging yeah. that was, you know, how this party formed. I know you have a lot of background in this, yeah. but uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I agree with you, and I think you're right. You could build those loyalties, which can have intergenerational effects, right? Like mm -hmm. people, for a variety of reasons, build these loyalties. I mean, sometimes people build them. You know, you immigrated to the country, and you felt like the party that welcomed you in uh, had an effect, and you know, that's how certain immigrant communities have become mm. loyal to the liberals and some to the conservatives. Um, you know, and that's the NDP struggles with that sometimes because we've never held federal power. But you no, know, if you could, you know, go to young people and build that loyalty, you, there's no, there, it's, it, it may well be the case that uh, some canceled student loan debt now um, might make that person a lifelong supporter uh, for the next 40 years, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's not inconceivable at the least. Yeah, yeah, no. So hopefully, you know, there will be some changes that we, we keep asking for this every week when we come uh, into your ears to speak to you. But uh, yeah, I just uh, feeling a little disillusioned. So we originally were going to talk about our most hated politicians. But uh, I don't know, man, I'm feeling a little too beat down to do that. I think, well, I think, you know, we'll save that for next week. We want to just yeah. maybe just close off by saying that uh, we, again, we've been hearing from a lot of people that want to find a way to support us and support the podcast. And 
we will be launching our um, Patreon next week. Again, on April 1st, we want to start it off uh, clean and fresh on a new month. Uh, and so by the time the episode comes out next week, the Patreon will have launched. Uh, yep. And it's a great way to support us. Again, our main goal with this show uh, is to keep it free uh, for yeah. everyone to uh, share it and, and, and participate in it because um, we want to spread the message of building a left alternative in Canada as broadly as possible. But we are asking for people to support us in doing that work and also offering people some cool perks and some special content here and there uh, to acknowledge their contribution. So keep, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think that trying to get our, our collective voices too is a big part of what uh, I like about what we're trying to do here on Left yeah. Turn Canada. So if you can support us on Patreon, you are involved in the show and we want to hear from you. We've gotten a few really nice emails of, of people kind of, um, echoing what we've said so far, young people and that feeling of disillusionment. So, you know, next week when we get started for five bucks a month, you will be a part of this show in every sort of meaningful way that we can think of. And we want to talk about the issues that are important to you, because if we didn't, you know, it's just me and Crystal listening to our own voices and we got enough of that. No. So yeah. I think <laughs> it will, uh, you know, effectively help us again. That is everything this week. Ending a little bit short. We got stuff to do. And I, I frankly just, I've had enough of Canadian politics today. <laughs> Understood.